to as a part of a church, and we start a series next week called Life A.D. I like that particular clip that you just saw because it begins to describe what this series for 12 weeks will be about. It'll be about climbing into the heart of the early church. You know, churches didn't always exist, right? There was the start of the church. And the start of the church in the first 10 chapters of Acts is what we're going to be walking through. And on Sunday nights, you get to see some of that come to life and come to action. And so I want to encourage you to not only dial in that next Sunday is Easter, but next Sunday is the beginning of a journey that we're going on. And this journey is going to be, uh, I think, something not only beneficial for you personally. I really am praying for us as a community of Christ followers, the church here, that we would be enlivened and quickened in our spirit. You know, just even that last part of that little clip there where it's like, be healed. It's like, he did miracles. And he still does miracles today. And he works in people's lives. And so I'm just excited for us to go on this journey. And I want to encourage us to dial in at every turn. Now, when you came in this morning, you not only received the new post for this next Sunday and some of the announcements that are on it. And uh, by the way, with the VBS thing, if you want to do VBS as an adult, just mark VBS on the back of your connection card. Turn that in at the end. You also received this, though, when you came in today. And this is an invite card that's not for you. This invite card is for a friend. And as Tiff said, pray about it. Think about who can you invite for Easter Sunday, but also then to invite into the beginning of this series, Life AD, and the uh, mini-series that will be on NBC at that night. Now, I just had my son run and get these because I forgot. But can you catch, catch, catch? All right, that's for that section. I'm going to do a couple for this section. You good? And then back there, I need some, Anthony, you can grab that right there. You're good. All right. Over here. Zach's got it over here. I think we're good. If you need some more, they're up here. Now, these aren't for you to just stick on people during the day while you're trying to be entertained, right? Right, students? It's great to have students in here, by the way, today, right? Yes. Woo! Anyway, um, I want you to think about three names. And what you need to do is take one off and start passing it down and around your aisle. All right? So that's for all this section. Joe, catch that back. Oh, my goodness. I hurt Heather. I am so sorry. You've got to reach for that, Joe. Just move it around. All right. Here we go. That'll teach you all to sleep. Who else is back there? I've got one more. I can fly. All right. Um, I want you to think about three names. Three names of people that you can pray for and consider inviting for next Sunday or invite them to your home to watch the series, at least one episode of it. All right. So three names. And then you're going to take this little sticky note and not just stick it on the back of, of your Bible or on the back of your wife or something. You're going to go take it and stick it on the mirror where you get ready every morning. You got one of those places. I sure hope all of you look at yourself before you walk out during the day, all right? So you go to that mirror with the three names. You stick it on there as a prayer reminder, but also as an initiation reminder that you would initiate the simple invite. Some people, as we often say, some people, and maybe you are one of those people, are only one ask away from coming with you to be a part of a community experience of worship that will literally change their life forever. One ask away. Now, I know some people are 20,000 ask away. One ask away. You never know. And uh, come, be ready for them when they come, sit with them, encourage them, go out and eat afterwards, whatever it is. Now, with the AD series, 
And it's on the post that you have. There's three things. The Sunday morning, and then there's going to be some uh, uh, group studies. If you want to be a part of a group study, uh, you can make mention of that uh, on your connection card. But the 80 series, we'd like to do what's called viewing parties. I mentioned this last week, but I failed to tell you that we actually have a little bit of a guide if you'd like to pick this up. So you are looking at inviting some friends, show up at your house 7 p.m. or show up at some central clubhouse location, whatever you want to do, at 7 p.m., do a Matthew kind of party, provide some snacks, whatever it may be, and see what might come from just a simple social gathering, whether it's four of you, six of you, eight of you, 12 of you, I don't care, um, the opportunity just to watch the first episode together. And uh, then take the opportunity after that just to talk about it for 15 minutes and then just pray. Some simple things of getting people into the story. I know you hear me say this a lot, probably. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's why I have to keep saying it. Friends, we have no ministry at this church. We have one ministry we participate in, and that is the Holy Spirit's ministry. And he is alive and active in the worlds in which we walk every day of our life. We must dial into what he is doing. And that's all the prayer. It's not, it's not a project list. It's not a, hey, I need to go and save somebody for Jesus. It's, Lord, dial me into what you're doing in the lives of people around me. And may I participate in your ministry, Holy Spirit, and take something as simple as a viewing party, as a tool, to build those bridges. And like we talked about, leave your... What? Remember? Circle of comfort and walk into the what? The zone of the unknown. It can be scary, but somebody did it in your life. Let's do it this beautiful time of year. I want to pray for us in this regard. Lord, I ask that um, you would take our lives this week in particular and use them to influence others to consider your story. Lord, whether it's through an invite to be a part of an Easter worship service next Sunday morning, or whether it's to come to just watch how the new church began on TV, we pray that you would sensitize our spirit to the people you want us to put on that piece of paper to pray about and to invite. Lord, I ask this morning that you would move on the hearts of some of us for maybe not a viewing party just with an Easter evening, but maybe the Sundays following that to be able to pick up a viewing party guide in the back and be able to just implement some simple steps to gather those that your heart longs for, that you want into your relationship with you, that, that we would gather them to freshly discover through visual means what it means to be a part of your community, both now and forever. So, Lord, we ask that. We just pray that prayer of blessing upon our lives as we do your ministry, Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it is Palm Sunday. Does anybody remember what I did last Palm Sunday? Anybody? Oh, come on. Whoa. These palm branches welcomed the kids today next door. And they welcome you, not just to Palm Sunday, but they welcome you 
into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we will worship through all eternity. And we are going to discover afresh today the story of Palm Sunday. And they laid their branches down. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like to watch the same movie twice. There's a few that I do. My family loves to watch the same movies over and over again. Levi, how many times have you watched Home Alone? Like, scads. Why? Because there's that mischievous young adult mind, right? Anyway, I don't really like to watch movies over and again. I want something new. But what we're going to do today is we're going to watch the same movie four times. You excited or not? The same movie four times because when you do watch a movie multiple times, and the reason that most of you do it is because, well, one, you probably enjoyed it the first time, or you want to pick up some different nuances and perspectives on it, right? And so you're able to enjoy it more richly. Well, the scriptures are an incredible thing. And in the scriptures, we are giving, given four gospels. And the four Gospels sometimes say the same story as the other Gospels, and sometimes they don't. But Palm Sunday, when it came to Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for Passion Week, it is shared in all four Gospels. All right? So that's why I encourage you in an email to be able to bring your scriptures, your word, your tablets, whatever you're going to do. We're going to launch in to looking at the four stories that are recorded in Scripture in all four Gospels concerning the um, Palm Sunday experience, and even thereafter. This is the beginning of Passion Week. I'm very mindful that you have busy lives. Your heads are down. You're bowling for straight ahead. There's responsibilities around you. But this is the week that we get to breathe a little bit and bring God in in a fresh way. I remember my early years as a pastor, we were... um, looking at some building design issues, structural engineers. We went to a big corporate building. We're sitting down at you know big board table. We're going to talk about the structural steel designs and that kind of thing. And we came in, and I remember the people that we were looking to connect with, they said, wow, this, this is your big week, isn't it? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I am a pastor, and I guess it's the big week of Passion Week, but every week's sort of a big week. But it's known that this should be a unique week for us. But many times we run so fast that we don't dial in. So I want you to climb into the story. And I think actually next Sunday night's AD episode will really help you to climb into the story. But climb into the story here with Palm Sunday. Think about it as we walk through. Even on Thursday, was Monday, Thursday, we don't celebrate it. But we're going to port the communion service into our Good Friday service that we'll have right here. And I hope you're a part of that. And then we'll step into Sunday morning, and then we've got the 80 Sunday night. Just ask God to take this Passion Week and enliven you afresh to his story. And we're going to look at it through Scripture. So we begin with the first of three synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means similar or alike, all right? And the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John. John is the fourth Gospel, but John's sort of unique and different, has a sp- uh, particular purpose, not that the other three didn't. But uh, we're going to look at the story as recorded in Matthew, and there are no slides for walking along with these words, so you're going to have to either look at your word, listen to me, but dial in, don't zone out. All right? You good with me? Here we go. As they approached Jerusalem, who's, who's they? Jesus and his disciples. This is Matthew 21. 
and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, uh, we had the, the skip guy video up front. Jesus did not steal the donkey, all right? <laughs> Jesus did not steal the donkey, but God had prepared somebody in advance who would allow them to use a donkey, just as surely as you say, hey, I got a car I can borrow, all right? So he's borrowing these animals, all right? But this is just not a hapstance event, all right? It says this in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, it's only in the Matthew uh, version of the video that we're watching right now that we have this reference to the Old Testament passage. But this is an incredible uh, prophecy that's being fulfilled in our midst. It comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. It says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Now, let's keep that there for a second. Do you listen to the news? Do you watch the news? Does any of the news concern you these days? in particular about a particular geographical area of this world called the Middle East. I, I just read this morning, and, and something I, f- I flew by quickly with my eyes, that, that, that Arab, the Arab nations now are thinking about forming their own army, all right, because of the upheaval. So you've got the Shiites, you've got the Sunnis, you've got all the different players of the nations going on. And you read something like this. This is... 500 years ago, I mean, 500 years before Jesus, all right, which is 2,500 years ago, and they're talking about the battles, the war horses, the weapons, all right? There was discord. There has always been discord, all right? And the underbelly of it all has to do with who is God, who reigns in this world, all right? Now, this prophecy says that all the matter that's happening is going to be dealt with by somebody riding on a donkey. Now, friends, the, the skip guys will write on that. That's just like, come, come on, a donkey? You would think, at least in that time, right, there weren't vehicles. Yeah, there were chariots and things. You would at least have the leader that was going to deal with things coming in on a stallion or some type of horse and saying, yeah, the day's arrived. Settle down, folks. I'm now the king. But he came riding on a donkey, and there are various reasons for that. One of them, he came riding as a symbol of peace rather than war, that kind of thing. But he came in fulfillment of this prophecy because of the expected hope of the people. I showed this to my daughter, and I said, can you realize this? This isn't this cool, Grace, that, you know, here she is, 11 years old. I'm trying to be able to get her to dial into Scripture that, you know, this was written 500 years before Jesus came on the scene. 
that he would be the king and that he would ride into Jerusalem on the final week on a donkey. And she goes, well, that's pretty cool. It is really cool. 500 years this prophecy was spoken and he comes riding in on this donkey. It's not, a, it, 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 you, you think in terms of modern day war, you know, it's like somebody you know, flying in with a little Piper Cub rather than an F-18 Hornet, all right? Oh, here's my little Piper Cub. I'm just going to sort of try to deal with things, all right? I'm glad Matthew states this. Matthew in particular was writing to Jewish people and so he's wanting them to understand that this Jesus who at the time of his writing, looking back, rose from the grave, the whole new church, New Testament church had started from, that this Jesus was just not out of nowhere. He was fulfilling all these prophecies. And these prophecies give him validity, not only for his divinity, but give him validity for his kingship and his authority in your life. All right? So that's why this particular version of the video highlights that in particular it says this then in verse 6 the disciples went and did as jesus had instructed them they brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them and jesus sat on them a very large crowd sped, uh, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed all right they shouted these words they shouted hosanna hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, we didn't sing a Hosanna song, though I did. I do have the Michael W. Smith Hosanna song that you get to listen to on your way out today. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Am I just dating myself? I probably did. Anyway, <laughs> the Hosannas thing, and they were throwing down the palm branches, and they were throwing them down as sort of a, a, a way of of preparing royalty to come in. And this royalty, they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David, going back to the lineage of David. Jesus, that's where his lineage came from. This long expected hope, this long king that was coming. And they were declaring, um, save us now. That's how you can reinterpret Hosanna. It's like, save us. Save us now. Praise God. Save us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they prepared the way as well as the cloak that they put on the donkey. And they said, come. Now, we don't put palm branches down today for people. That would be sort of weird, right? But what do we do when we have royalty or something really cool? Red carpet. I don't really fully understand where the red carpet came thing came from, but I had my first red carpet experience last summer, and here's a couple pictures. I was at the ESPY Awards. All right, so here's a picture of us at the ESPY Awards, uh, me and my boys, and you know it was interesting. Now you're not very close; you're just sort of there, and they drive up, and the ESPY Awards are for sports. If you don't know what they are, and uh, so it's like, oh, somebody's yelling, who's this, that? Somebody said, oh, there's KD. KD is Kevin Durant, all right? He was uh, MVP of uh, NBA kind of thing. And so you're going like, wow, all these special royalty kind of things. And then they go into a little tin, I suppose. That's where they take the pictures. Then they go on the other side of it. I had never been to a red carpet event. And so uh, Ryan's always dialed into this, this Mr. Sunglass guy there. So he, he had Dad go. And uh, so I, I, I was just an observer. And it's interesting because everybody's trying to do what? I was trying to say who? Who's getting out of that limo? Who's getting out of that truck, right? Who's the next person that's coming through? Now, these are all human beings. All fallen human beings that probably have secret lives that none of us really want to know about. 
All right? Fallen human beings. But we like to maybe not worship, but we like to drool sometimes over people who have fame and notoriety. You will always get a crowd if you put a famous person out. I'm glad I'm not famous. To think about when you go out and people go, oh, you know, the Pavarazzi and everything. But here Jesus is, and he shows up, and they lay down the red carpet for him. And they put on this new little colt, a cloak, for him to ride in on. And they're having their own little party, those Israelites are. And they're declaring, save us now, Jesus. Can you capture this? It's not a quaint little story. This is a story that actually happened. And embedded in this story was a high-intensity level of hope that the one who they were cheering and champing on was going to deliver them from the bondage that they were in. Now, what I'd like us to do as we walk through these things real quick, and there is some repetition coming here for sure, I want you to dial in to the crowd and realize there's different kinds of people in the crowd. When I was at the ESPYs, I was not an important person. All right? I wasn't even a dialed-in kind of person. I was just some casual onlooker. And in a crowd, when something of that nature is happening, you will have onlookers. So there's the onlooker crowd within the crowd. All right? And then with the onlookers, you find a group of people who truly are the hopeful crowd. All right? And the hopeful crowd is desiring to see change happen in their country, in their city, in their world, in their ethnicity, in their spiritual history. And those hope-filled people in the crowd, they're, they're dialed in. They're not fully aware of what's maybe going to happen. All right? And we'll come back to that in a second. Let's pick it up following that. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, verse 10, the whole city was stirred and asked, catch this if you got your scriptures, they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we would say, what do you mean? How do they not know who he was? Well, friends, he didn't have 2,000 years of history recorded in a book and people from all around the world gathering on Sunday mornings to worship him. He was a no-name person from Nazareth, a no-name, looked-down-upon kind of town. Yeah, he had his little band of followers, and those band of followers had seen, as, as, as we saw or heard earlier, you know, that their, Lazarus had been raised and, raised and some things were going viral. But there was no texting back then. There was no Facebook. There were no telephones. All right? So it had to travel by word of mouth. So in the crowd, there was a, a lot of, I believe, clueless people. All right, so we have the clueless crowd within the big crowd. And the clueless crowd is just simply saying, well, who's this? Who's this? As sure as most of the people that got out of the limousines at the ESPY Awards, I'm like, well, who's that? Who's that? I didn't know these people, right? And so Jesus appears on the scene in Jerusalem, and he starts, he starts to become known, not just among his own particular sect, but clear across the whole city that was gathered. And buzz started to, to go around about him. 
And I want us to look just briefly at what he does following that. It says this. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. Jesus goes, yeah, I do. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Now, there's two other groups, two other crowds I want to mention here. One is the broken crowd. Those whose lives are broken physically and otherwise, and they are looking toward healing. All right, there's the broken crowd. But then there's also, I can reference them as the jealous crowd. We'll reference them a little bit as the vengeful crowd. But the jealous crowd is like, well, hey, how does he just sort of show up on the scene? And all of a sudden, here's this Jesus. Who is this guy? And everybody's clamoring after him. Look what those little kids are doing. You know, those little kids are out there. They're, 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 they're fanning. What is, what is this? What is this? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were bothered by two things ultimately. But the first they were bothered by, they were just plumb jealous. They were jealous that Jesus was wooing the people that they were in charge of, that they had control over. How dare he? There was a significant contingency in that crowd. Because within the heart of those who are jealous is a hardened will to be able to surrender. And even though they claimed as good Jewish people to declare that a Messiah was coming, when a Messiah, at least the one that he was claiming to be, appeared on the scene in the manner that he appeared on, they had strong resistance and they also were indignant. They were indignant. And so that crowd of people is going on as well. Now, we don't oftentimes tie together. Here's Jesus coming in on the donkey. When he gets off his donkey, gets out of his car, and he goes, all right, now I think I'll go upset some people in the temple. All right? But there was something about his presence and his authority that was bringing. They were attracted to him because of his teaching. Yes, they were attracted because of the miracles. But he brought authority into a situation. Have you ever been at a job, maybe on a sports team, And you just wish somebody would be the leader and bring a sense of presence and direction. All right. Jesus brought that to the spiritual world of seeking in that day. Okay, so we have these different crowds going on. Now, let's turn to another little cameo experience of the Palm Sunday found in Mark. Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. Okay, sort of same part of the story. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, now with this, he gets a little bit more particular. He says, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. All right. So there was more conversations that's recorded in this particular synoptic gospel. They went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, 
I am so glad this is here because I'm like, that's what I would be doing. What are you doing? Taking my car. What are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they had brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of them and those who followed shouted these words, the same words in part that we looked at. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I like the phrase, blessed is the coming kingdom, because this lets you know that they were dialed in to this hope as part of the crowd that Jesus was going to change and transform what was happening. Now, I'm not sure they had any idea how he was going to do it. They had seen him do miracles. So maybe they thought that he was going to send fire down from heaven on the Romans. All right. God did that in the Old Testament sometimes with those who are disobedient. All right. Maybe he was going to um, uh, rally together a bunch of followers and uh, storm the praetorium where the Roman leadership was and take over. And I think you'll see that in the A.D. series. Um, There's a group of individuals called zealots. Okay, and the zealots thought that what needed to happen was some type of military might to overthrow their situation. But this coming kingdom of our father, David, we need someone who is going to radically bring upheaval to the current system. They did not understand what Jesus was coming to do, as we know. But that's what they were declaring. That was the hope that was in their heart. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, this is different than the first cameo that we looked at. And it's not different in actuality. It's a difference in how it was reported. So it was reported he got off the donkey, he went into the temple and made things happen. Well, actually, he went into the temple, he looked around, it was already too late, Hours, you know, the shops were closed and whatever, and he left And he went back across the valley, and it was the next day then that he went back into the temple courts, and he took it on. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now, this is an interesting story. You maybe heard this, but this comes in as a little side light. All right? That's what movies do, right? They have all these little sidebars. And it says this, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, why no one ever may no one ever eat fruit from you again? And the disciples heard him say this. All right. Nice. Okay. Jesus seems a little ticked off with the tree. Okay. So they move on. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He was very upset, not just because of the commercialism, but because of the underhanded corruption that was going on in the marketplace. And he would probably be upset today as well. But this had direct reference 
to the holiness and the sacredness of the temple. Verse 18 of Mark 11. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and listen, and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. This is the second thing. They were jealous, but they were also fearful of the Romans. Something's got to be done here. We're going to plot to kill him. Now, I don't know if you grasp the significance of Passion Week. You have the red carpet treatment on a Sunday. Four days later is Gethsemane. Five days later, he's dead, crucified. Can you imagine the swing of what happened in the course of those events of that drama? For him to go from a celebrated person to someone who was crucified. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! To crucify him! Crucify him! Crowd mentality is a scary thing. Because people are so easily influenced. The same people, I believe, who were shouting Hosanna were some of the same people who were saying crucify, crucify at the end. But the reason was because they didn't see coming into fruition the kind of Messiah they thought would come about. Save us from our predicaments. Not save us because we are a broken people. Now, some of those who are shouting Hosanna just stepped back, and they weren't a part of the crucify, crucify crowd. But there was a tremendous amount of influence that went on. Have you ever been influenced by mob mentality in your life? It doesn't take a lot of people. In fact, I read about a study <laughs> this week that they put 50 people in a room. Well, there's, there's more than 50 here. But uh, 50 people in a room, so maybe half the people in the room. And they put up on the screen two lines. There was a long line. And there was a short line. And they asked the people in the room, which line is longer? Well, 49 of the 50 people were told to say the short line was longer. And the one person who came and sat there, he said, well, no, that's, that's shorter. But they kept debating it and talking about it. And he ended up changing his tune. And he agreed with the rest of them. That really the shorter line was the longer line, but it wasn't the longer line. The shorter line was short and the long line was long. And and he was so confused. In fact, even when they told him afterwards of what they did, he still believed the shorter line was the longer line. (laughs) People are easily influenced. You and I are easily influenced. As we look at the pockets and the crowds that are around us, who are you being influenced by? Who are you being influenced by in your world? And are you just going along? With the majority. Or maybe you're going along with the, the group that you have a kindred spirit towards, that you have a personal personality attachment to. Are you the crowd that is just going by the wayside, a part of the drama, letting things happen? Are you a part of the true hopeful crowd that became the believer crowd that Jesus is who he said he is? How easily are you influenced by other people? And it may not be a crowd. It may just be one or two other individuals in your life that are keeping you from seeking out what is truth. When evening came, Jesus, verse 19, and his disciples went out of the city. I like this. 
In the morning, as they went along, they saw that little old fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Hey, Rabbi, man, look at that, that the fig tree that you cursed. It's withered. Help me with this one, Jesus. Help me with this one. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you their sins. That all came from the withered fig tree. You were hungry and you cursed the tree, poor little tree. Jesus was calling them on to greater faith and understanding. He had the authority. Friends, he had the authority to look at a tree and kill it. He had every authority to walk into Jerusalem after he got off the donkey and kill everyone that was not of the Father. But he knew. That ultimately was not God's will and was not the way that salvation, true saving us now, would be brought to this world. But he had the power. He has the authority. And these people were hoping that he really was that kind of king, one who would ultimately be able to bring peace. Let's go to the next vignette, Luke 19. And, of course, again in here, we're going to find things that are repeated in this synoptic gospel after Jesus had said this. He went on ahead and going to Jerusalem as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples. They went to the village. They untied the donkey. Why are you untying the donkey? Uh, and they say, and, and they're to say the Lord needs it. So those who were sent went ahead and they found it just as he had said to them. Why are you untying the donkey? Its owners asked them, why are you untying it? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the donkey, on the colt, put it on Jesus. By the way, there's two animals here. There's the donkey, and then there's the colt. Jesus rode on the colt. Had never been ridden on before. All right? Symbolism in that as well. All right. They replayed, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice, voices for all the miracles they had seen. Part of the crowd that was hopeful really was a self-centered crowd. They were desirous of the king, but they were also desirous to see the miracle worker work miracles. And that's why they were part of the entourage. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory uh, in the highest. So those words are added to the ones that we had from the other uh, two. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if you keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So here's the vengeful crowd, the jealous crowd. They go to Jesus and they say, Would you keep your disciples shut mouth? Keep their mouths shut. And... Jesus is saying, this is my time. Even if they are kept quiet, the rocks, the creation itself will call out. Now, I don't know if you realize the uniqueness of the Palm Sunday event. Jesus has multiple times in the history of his three years of living with his disciples told them to be hush-hush. 
Don't tell anybody who I am. Don't tell that you, this miracle happened. But when you come to Palm Sunday, his entrance into Jerusalem, he sort of comes out of the closet, if you will. And he's coming out and he's declaring his kingship. And he's telling them, this is appropriate to put down the red carpet, the palm branches, to be able to have me ride in on a, a prophetic animal. All right. All this is appropriate. Jesus desires, especially in a week like we're in, he desires to receive praise and adoration. He's not big headed. All right. He is the God of the universe and he is worthy of our worth. Our worth ship goes to him. And so do not be hesitant to be exuberant in your worship, even particularly this week. When we come in next week for Easter, don't you? Hey, it's Easter. We all got some on different clothes. That kind of, no, what's come with a spirit of celebration and worship because Jesus says wherever two or three are gathered there, I'm in its. He desires worship. All right. So he's telling them that you can't shut up my disciples. You can't shut up the crowd. All right. Because I am worthy of this praise. If they keep silent, the stones will cry out. And they had a lot of stones around in those buildings. All right. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said. Now, these are new words. All right. These are all part of this drama event. So Luke brings in a little bit different picture here. Words of Jesus. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring your peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you, upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because they did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The story of Jerusalem, the story of the Jewish people, takes a very difficult trajectory after that. But here's Jesus being very clear about it. Woe to you because you reject Which crowd are you a part of this morning? Are you the crowd that's believing? Are you the crowd that's hopeful? Or are you part of the crowd that's sort of maybe double-minded and not believing for whatever reason? Jesus would speak the same words to us as a people as he spoke to them. Woe, be careful if you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my home, again, will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it. Why? Because all the people hung on his words. And then John records the same story. Much briefer. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. He found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written. And he goes back to the Zechariah part. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. And then listen to this. I love what John adds. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
it wasn't like he came riding in on a donkey and somebody goes, hey, I know what he's doing right now. He's dialing back into that Old Testament prophecy. No, they didn't understand all this drama that was going on. It was only after all these events they look back and they go, light bulb. Oh, he is the one. He is the king of Israel. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard of that, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. It's getting out of hand. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Can you picture the crowd, a large, large crowd of people declaring and shouting all these different kinds of statements about Christ? Can you picture within that crowd then varying groups of people, these groups, the onlooker crowd, the clueless crowd, the hopeful crowd, the broken crowd, the zealot crowd, the vengeful crowd, and then the believing crowd. Which crowd would you not only identify yourself with maybe if you were there then? Which crowd are you really a part of today? In Philippians it says that Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But then it says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it doesn't matter what part of the crowd you are part of now. You will ultimately be a part of a crowd that bends your knee and acknowledges Jesus. All the chaos and the commotion going on of Passion Week, it really reflected an interior life that was distraught in each and every person. Who is this person who claims to the King of Kings? Oh, he's, he's got to be dealt with. He's going to cause problems. No, he's our hope. He is our true Savior. Hosanna! The drama was happening in all these vignette angles on a visible external angle, but it was really an internal story of devotion. Who would bend their knee to worship him as the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you realize that in Scripture there are two Palm Sunday stories? I'm not talking about the four of the ones that occurred when Jesus came the first time. We walked through those pretty fast. You did good with me this morning. But there's another palm story recorded in Scripture. It's found in Revelation 7. It says this, After this, I looked, the vision of John, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. Amen? I don't care what crowd you're a part of today. I want you to be a part of that crowd. And to be a part of that crowd, you need to get off your own donkey probably. And you need to bend your knees to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. Friends, I trust that's true of your life this morning. If it's not and you would like to surrender to the Lord, I'd be more than glad to pray with you or your friend that brought you this morning would as well. You can bend your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It will radically change your life. It may not make it always easier, but it will bring hope and fulfillment, the desired salvation God intends not only for this life, but in the future life to come. And friends, when we take our little post-it note and we pray for people, we're praying that they would bend their knee. Whether next week, next month, the next year. This is our business. The John version of the Palm Sunday story says that they went out and they were witnesses. That is our responsibility to point people to the King. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we thank you. We ask that you would help us as a people. Not only observe a story such as the Passion Week from a distance, but to climb into it and fill it afresh and anew in our lives. Lord, so many reasons to be able to proclaim and declare your beauty and your goodness. May we as a people worship you this week for who you are, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who entered in a peaceful means the first time to bring about the transformation of people's hearts, but the one who is coming again, who will make all ills right in our world and establish the new heaven and the new earth. Lord, in that day, in that group, in that crowd, may we be a people that declare forth your salvation, the Lamb who was slain. Lord, recapture our hearts of wonder for the story. And Lord, may we take that story and be able to share it with people that we care about, loved ones, families, neighbors, people that are distant to us. May you mobilize us as a people enthralled by the joy and the hope that comes from your kingship. Lord, we thank you in your name. We worship you. Amen. The ushers are going to come.